All right, you are now tuned in to the follow-through with Clips and Drew, the true players broadcast, episode 125, and it is an epic one for sure. We have 10-year NBA vet, two-time NBA champion, three-time three-point champion, Craig Hodges. If you're watching The Last Dance, this man was a part of that whole Bulls team. This is an episode you are not going to want to miss. It's the follow-through with Clips and Drew. Drew, kick that intro music. Excuse me. Didn't mean to interrupt like Mount Vesuvius. I'm about due to erupt. Use it or I'm losing it. They say I need to loosen up. Tight, I'm well taught. I must do the max like Ludi us. I do have something to say. So you got to give it up. Give it up. You never heard All right, so the question Drew and I get asked every single day is how do you start a podcast? When we were trying to get this podcast off the ground, we both had so many questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen to? And most importantly, how do we make money from our podcast? The answer is simple. Anchor. Anchor is your one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all people, it's 100% free and it's ridiculously easy to use. Even Drew can use it. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, guys, that's exactly what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and Drew and the whole diverse community of podcasters around the world that are already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. We can't wait to hear your podcast. All right, welcome to the follow-through with Clips and Drew. We are with 10-year NBA vet, two-time NBA champ, three-time three-point champion, Craig Hodges. Craig, thanks for being on the show, my friend. Oh, brother, I appreciate y'all, man. Thanks for the invite. And uh, my son told me y'all some cool brothers, so I said I got to holler at you guys. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot. We're trying to be. Um, so we wanted to start kind of like in the beginning. Um, we know you're from outside of Chicago, uh, but give us a little background of, of growing up. Well, I grew up in a place called Chicago Heights, Illinois. is a hotbed of, um, at that time, you know, growing up in the 60s, it was a hotbed for the civil rights movement. So I was blessed to be a part of the civil rights movement growing up. And then having a chance to go to school at Long Beach State and study black studies, it was just a natural progression for me to how, you know, and student athleticism was something that was in my family early on. You know, my uncles and my granddad, my granddad especially was a great, you know, a mentor and as far as getting me to understand the importance that, you know, work habits and work ethic were in as far as the game was involved. And I learned at an early age and my aunts and my sister, you know, I wasn't going to get to play any sports unless I was told in my books. <laughs> so it was one of those things where student athleticism was taught to me coming out of the womb, basically. Um, you talked about Long Beach State and we kind of, you know, we're going to jump a little bit because that's right down the street from us. We, we're in San Clemente right now. Okay. Um, you know, during watching The Last Dance, um, which we're going to get into too, of course, but like I like to take notes and put them on my whiteboard that's behind me and like just – and one thing that I wrote on the board as soon as it happened was thank you, Jesus, for Tex winners because finally Tex mm -hmm. gets the respect he deserves. He got a nice plug on the, on the show, and you and Tex have a very long relationship. Can you okay. talk about that a little bit for me? And I'm getting, I get chills when just thinking about the way you seen it was the same way I saw it, man. When I saw it, everything else 
it was just as though uh, time stopped right there, just just watching him. And, you know, once again, I was blessed to have Tech recruit me when he was uh, coaching at Northwestern. My junior year in high school, he wanted he wanted me after my junior year, he wanted me to sign early. And I told him, man, I don't want to stay in this cold weather. And uh, so my senior year, he got the job at Long Beach State right after January of my senior year. And he saw me play in uh, high school, the first city suburban high school here in Chicago. And he saw me playing right after the game. He offered me a scholarship. And I told him, hey, man, where do I sign that? He's like, no, nah, you got to visit first. I was like, no, nah, long palm trees, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So I, I'm curious about that because I know that Tex developed the triangle at his time in, in, in Kansas State. So even, a, a, you know, a couple decades previous, when you were uh, at Long Beach State, was he also running the triangle office? Is that something that you guys ran there? And it's, and it's funny how, you know, so many people look at it and say it's a generational where it's something that you can't use today. When I was at Long Beach State in 1978 to 1982, he would show us videotape of his 1950 team yeah. that played at Kansas State, and they were running the triangle back then. So the first day of practice, he told us to forget everything we had ever learned about basketball because he had forgot more basketball than we would ever know. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things that when you hear a statement like that, you know, you become all ears. And for me, I had Steve Fisher as my high school coach. So I had great, I had great discipline from the time I was a sophomore until my senior year. We would practice three and a half hours a day. So wow. when I got the text, my fundamentals are so were basically pristine compared to even guys who were juniors and seniors. So when we started the initial stuff of the triangle, it's fundamentals. So he had me doing a lot of the drill work, and a lot of the seniors were bitter about that. But for me, I was a happy-go-lucky freshman just doing what Tex told me to do because. One of the first things he told me, and a good friend of mine uh, from a, a, um, a Jason High School by the name of Phil Gary, he was my roommate. He and a guy by the name of Rod Higgins from the same high school who played in the pros with MJ at, at Chicago. Uh, he and I, when we got with Tex, Tex told us when we signed our letters of intent, he said, if you stay with me for four years, I guarantee you'll be in somebody's training camp. And I'm like, man, <laughs> hey, I'm good, you know? Right. So it was one of the things where Tex was, from, from day one, he was always fair, but he always wanted you to be the best that you could possibly be. Is it true that in the first practice at Long Beach, he dropped two balls in the hoop? Absolutely. He bought a lot. And, and the cold part about it was probably the first three or four days. It wasn't another, it, we, didn't, we put on our practice gear, sat on the sideline for two hours, went back and got dressed. And we would think we'd get ready to practice. And he had us in that mindset for three straight days. And it was nothing but him taking a, a, a measuring tape, measuring out all the lines on the court, telling us what they meant. And the whole, it was a whole, and that's why I tell people, you know, we won, Phil Jackson has won 11 championships or whatever, and he's done it with a third of the system. Right. So, you know, Long Beach State, I, had a, I was blessed to have four years of the system where you learned everything from it being against a full court press so they being against zone defenses, to being against man-to-man, -man, and the whole shebang on how to, you know, like you say, once you make one pass, you have 33 options, right. <laughs> which is right. a cold, cold piece. So that's one of the things that bothers me now when I see how the game is played, that there's not much thinking involved in it. Right. It's a lot of one-on-one, -on -one, right? Yeah. Man, if you can dribble and shoot, you the man. Right. You know, <laughs> that's the part 
that's the part that's to me is taken away from the next generation of play is that what are you emulating if you're emu if you're only emulating Kyrie Irving and and Steph Curry what are we missing in the game and even to the point where we have seven footers who want to be three-point shooters instead of understanding that you can dominate the game from the inside out right if you study if you study if you're a big man and you grab the rebound you don't have to outlet and right. that, that's what the big guys used to do with us when we would get the ball and run away with it they would just get it and hold it <laughs> and wait till everybody get down the course so there's no fast break right you know it's one of those things where the game has changed so much and uh analytics has taken the game over you know i'm a diehard clipper fan that's why my name is clips okay I grew up. Uh, I, grew, I grew up in LA. I was a ball boy for the Clippers for ten years. About the sports arena, I'm still a diehard fan. Um, Nineteen. You drafted in '82, right? Yes. Drafted in '82. You don't go the first two rounds. I know you were a little bummed, but then immediately in the third round, you get picked by my squad, by the Clippers. So exactly. You're kind of just going right down the street or down down the five freeway right. to San Diego. No so you're, ble you're blessed with playing at Long Beach State, and then you get to go to San Diego and play. But the Clippers were absolutely – they were horrible at the time. But you know what's so, what's so wild about that is that that to me was one of, the, one of my great experiences is to be able to come into the league under some great veterans, even though we weren't collaborative. You know, I came in the game under Swin Nader, Bill Walton, mm -hmm. Jerome Whitehead, Norm Nixon, you know, I had some, I had some great veterans, but we just weren't able to bring it together. And part of the reason we weren't able to bring it together, Bill, Bill Walton didn't want to play every day. <laughs> so it was one of the things where Bill was, it was crazy. My rookie year, Bill went to, Bill went to law school. Oh wow, yeah. A lot of people don't know that Bill Walton went to law school during the week and only played on weekends. So, wow. so he was the, he was the original load management, or what? <laughs> And, and super low management. Bill, Bill was like, he's like, man. And we went and played um, an exhibition game in Utah. Oh no, in uh, Vegas. And he was like, man, it would be able, it would be great if you could get a contract where the only games you played was in Vegas. Play <laughs> like, one game a year. That's what I'm saying, Rook. I'm like, okay, I got you. <laughs> you know, it's that was it was in my notes though. I know that you and Bill had a a really great relationship, kind of like I don't know how great it was, but I know. You both respected each other a lot, and you being on, you were very active in the community, active, you know, so was, I mean, Bill was, you know, we all knew what Bill was coming from. Um, what was it, what was it that brought you guys, what connected you two? You know, Bill does research. So when I got to, when I got to the team, um, and it's funny, you know, they play this um, veteran rookie stuff on you, so I would always be the first one at practice, and I would go to the far end of the gym. Because I knew if I was at the front end of the gym, one of the veterans going to come in and make me rebound for him. <laughs> so I'm at the front end of the gym one day, and Bill comes in. Rook! Rook! I'm like, I'm shooting my jump. I'm like, my mama named me Craig. <laughs> I'm still shooting. He's like, Rook, you hear me? And I turn around and look. I was like, what's up, man? He's like, Come shag for me. I'm like, come on, Bill. I'm shooting, man. I'm working on my game. So I kept shooting. And after practice, he's like, you know what? I like you. I like, I like you. You like that? So we talked, and then he asked me what I studied, and I told him what I studied and who I studied under. And he was, he was um, surprised that I studied black studies and, and that kind of thing. And right away he told me, he's like, 
look here, as long as you're in the game, understand that it's management and players. And I'm going to make you play a rep of this team right now as a rookie, something that's never done. Right. And I want you to always remember, stay on the side of the players. Even if you become a coach or in management, always side on the side of the players. So wow. the respect I have for Bill is utmost. Likewise, Bill was one of the only players in the league who would have his sons sit on the bench. Yeah. So <laughs> when, I was, when I was a rookie and second-year player, Luke and his brother would be sitting on the bench. Oh, wow. Cussing out referees. <laughs> As young boys, and I'm looking at him, and, and Bill is sitting there. Bill is sitting there. He's having the time of his life, and I'm like, man, this is something else. So me and Luke used to laugh about that when I was shooting coach with the Lakers. Right. Um, you know, we had we just had Maurice Taylor, a friend of ours, on the show this week, former Clipper. Mm-hmm. And you know, I worked for Donald Sterling for ten years. I had my own opinions about him. You were there in '82, um, and we all know who he is, what kind of a man he is now. Um, right, right. What what was your first impressions of him? Like, what did you, what did one you? Of the, one, of, one of the wild parts was we got our checks on a Friday. Like about we had we had practice, we had practice like early in the morning. So me being rookie, I'm running up to get my check or whatever. You know, you get your check and got the check, but the off nobody's in the office. You just got it out your mailbox. Nobody's in the office. Check have no signature on it, so you can't take it to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like I'm like man how oh no so they told me they, they're laughing at me they're like welcome to the Clippers you know yeah. and then, so you and so the veterans the veterans had enough savvy they were getting paid once a year or whatever the hell it was so they they knew their bread was coming <laughs> look I'm ready to get my check I'm a happy go lucky cat I'm like it's like yeah man you got to make sure on your money <laughs> okay <laughs> So what did you have to do? I mean, did you have to like wait until you know? We had to wait till the next week, and I, <laughs> during that period of time, like they say, during that period of time, he earned it more interest on his money. Of course, of course. <laughs> wow, wow! Such a sterling thing to do, though. And, and you know, and then you look at like for me, it was one of the things where I was just doing my job. I had very little interaction with management, unless it was like the general manager telling me something. But other than that, it was always where well, you were seeing, and it was always him at a distance. So I never really had any interaction with him really until I got with the Lakers and I'm with the Lakers and he walks over to me, you used to play for me. And I'm like, damn, I didn't, it was weird. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, all right, cool, man. We getting ready to whoop your ass, but go ahead on. <laughs> Not to, you, know, you know, it's cool, Clips. It's cool, Clips. But you know, you, we were, we, we, you know, now, now y'all not the, y'all not the, uh, this is what Phil said. Bill said, uh, whenever we would play the Clippers, he would say, ah, we got to play the JV tonight. Oh, that's so messed up, Craig. <laughs> Come on, man. I love it. I love it. Awesome. But, but see, Phil is a psychological cat. So when, when everybody moved in the building together, he was like, Come on, somebody got to be the varsity squad. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Whatever, man. I, I, but see, I, now y'all at that point, y'all at that point where Ain't no more beating up on y'all. You know what I mean? Yeah, but then, I love it. But, the, but then the coronavirus comes, and it ruins our chances <laughs> of winning a championship, okay? And, and, and let me ask y'all something about that. Sure. How do y'all think sport is going to roll out after this? Very slowly. How do you, what do you think is going to be rolling out, coming out of this? I think the games are going to start. 
uh, whenever they feel it's safe. I don't know when that is, if that's a month or two months, but I do think it's going to be a while before there's crowds at whatever version of the game. Yeah, yeah. So yeah I, and, then, and one yeah. of the things that I trip on is, you know, just the psychology of human beings. Right. That it took us, it took us this long to settle into quarantine and right. being away from one another. Now I'm thinking like, okay, you get people back together. Somebody sitting at a game and you sitting behind you at a game, they drink some of their beer, it goes down the wrong pipe and they start to cough and everybody around them panic. You know what I'm saying? And likewise, what's going to happen if somehow a player comes down with it again? Are you going to shut it all down again? What is it? Right. I think it's going to be a totally different thing. I mean, even even once, let's just say that there's a vaccine in the next year or two, you know, outside of that happening, I don't see, you know, people being comfortable going to a 20,000-person arena and having – even the slightest chance of that happening. I think it's going to be a lot different. I mean, the good news about it is that we have all these cameras and ways to watch it now. I mean, so at least the games can be viewed. But I, I don't think going that's my thing now is are you going to make every game pay-per-view where you just have on-the-court cameras where you don't have a pan of the crowd, you just have nothing where it's almost becoming a video game. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Where everybody's sitting at the crib and, I want to watch the Lakers, and do I have to pay per game right. to watch it? You know, right. so it's, it's, a, it's a whole – and that's what I'm telling people. You know, it's so many ways it's going to be a whole new paradigm to education, a oh, yeah. whole new paradigm to sport. But to me, they have to try to roll out sports so that you can get the, the psychology of the populace to yeah. be able to say, you know what, it's okay for me to go places to be in crowds again. Right. You know, it's a big difference in going to a crowd of 20 people as to go into a crowd, a restaurant of 35 people. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> you know, true. So it's true. It's going to be something to see how it pans out. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully sooner than later. But right. I'd, yeah. rather, I'd, I'd rather be safe than sorry. So Man. however long this is going to take, if they want us to stay home, stay home. What Drew and I are doing is he's the only guy I see. I live alone, you know. And yeah, you, man. Yeah, yeah. Only I, I'm like a golden retriever when he comes over. I can't wait to <laughs> can't wait to see him. Right. I hear you, man. I hear you, and that's been me, man. I've been sitting there, and and what's what's heavy about it is that, okay, February 12th through the 16th was All Star Weekend. Mm-hmm. Right. The prior week in Chicago, we had the Auto Show. Mm-hmm. All Star Weekend, Valentine's Day. Auto show, all all that combined, and within a 14-day period, within the context of what happened in in the Mardi Gras, right, where you had these people, same thing happened in Chicago. Wow. Myself, my son Jabril, who was here with us, all of us were sick as a dog. Really, really. All three of my sons, <laughs> my oldest one, the baby boys in Cali, with you guys, mm-hmm. my three boys that were here. During All Star Weekend, all of them were sick. Wow, that's scary. This thing is a lot larger than it's being talked about. Mm-hmm. So, me, it's like, okay, we know that the summer is going to be a downtime, just based on flu, on the flu mentality of things. Right, right. But we know it's a spike coming in October, man. I wow. agree. Uh, you yeah. know what I'm saying, and this ain't to this ain't to scare no none of the, none of the brothers and sure. sisters who are listening and, and that kind of thing. But it's just a matter of saying, 
you know, we have to prepare ourselves better than we did this time, you know, and as far as if we have to lock down again, what is your preparation going to be for your children this time? So like, like I'm saying, if we are to open this thing up, children got to go back to school because that's the number one child care in America. Right. Facts. Absolutely. Yeah. So, parents can go to work if their, if their children are at school, right? Like that, yeah, even if so, schools are closed, like, and, and their jobs are back, then what yeah. are they, you know, what you're still stuck in a position where you can't leave. And, like, and, and then you got, then you have, what about the disclosure thing? Mm-hmm. My mom, who's, stuck, who's suffering from dementia, is in a senior facility. I talked to them on Friday. They have no cases when the nurse is talking to me. Today I get an email. They have 23 cases. Oh, Damn. my. So something must have happened. Wow. One man was a, is a nurse unaware right. who's, doing, who's personal care on me telling me that we moved your mom into our own room and now we come and be, do all the exercise and everything. Everybody's isolated like that. And I'm saying, man, this is, we don't know what, like we say, we don't know when it got here. We don't know what's causing it and how it's getting into people. It's, it's crazy. It's right. crazy. It is. It is. Hey, so back to basketball really fast. Sorry. Um, so you get, you're out of, you're out of San Diego and then you get blessed with another great coach, Donnie Nelson in Milwaukee. Right. What was, yeah. he, what was Don Nelson like? The first day, so I got traded with two of my teammates, Terry Cummins and Ricky Pierce. Terry and, Terry and uh, Ricky, they went in earlier. I was trying to get my family situated. So I got in for the second practice of the first day of training camp. And at that time, we did two days. With Don Nelson, we did two days, twice a day, for 30 days. Wow. Where I'm, yeah. So we're on like, and, and, yeah. and his two days are not like, oh, we're going to go in there and walk around for an hour and then we come back. No, nah, it was two and a half hours of, I mean, training camp in the morning. <laughs> and then in the evening, it was two hours of scrimmage. Wow. So my first day, I get there and um, I see Ricky and, and Terry, and they're like, man, this dude is crazy. And I'm like, oh, man, it couldn't be that bad. So, I go out and I'm on my way up to meet Don Nelson for the first time. So I get up in the room, him and his coach were sitting there and he's like, um, how was your flight in? I was like, oh, let's go. He's like, uh, you know, I could have made that deal for Terry and Ricky when they first traded Ricky to, to the Clippers. But I wanted to make sure to get your ass in the deal because I see how you, you got a good body structure. You're going to be, you're going to be in the league for a while. <laughs> he's like, but I got one question. Can you handle me cussing your ass out all the time? And I start laughing. I start laughing. He's like, okay, I'll see you this evening. It's like that. So I walk out and I walk out, go to practice, and the very first thing we do, we take our three laps, and then we get in what is called the mirror drill. You put one player in the front, the other, the rest of the team is facing him, and he has the defensive slide and they have to follow along. Mm -hmm. So he puts 40 seconds on the clock and he tells me, okay. Mom, get your ass out there and slide. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man. So I get out there, I'm sliding for 40 seconds. All right. 40 seconds, horn blows. Now you take two laps. He tells me, no, no, no. Keep your ass out there. Keep sliding. And I'm like, oh. And if you know pros, when a pro runs a lap, it's like an hour. <laughs> right? So 
they getting all they getting their rest in. I'm steady sliding. I right, say, like, put a minute up there. Keep lead them again. So he did that oh. to me for I did that four trips. Wow. Um, one second, one minute, minute and a half, two minutes, right? I'm I'm gassed. I'm, I'm ready to I'm ready to say, you know what? I ain't even thinking about trade. I quit. <laughs> so Jerry Cummins, who's my homeboy, and we got drafted together. He grabs me on the shoulder. He's like, man, slow down, dude. Slow down. And so me and him, we do the next drill, which is another slide drill. We do it together. And this unheard of for a guard and a six nine power forward to do their slides together, but they got the message. But Nelly, Nelly was like this. During training camp, he was a total, total uh, tyrant. During the season, he was the greatest player. He's the greatest player coach to play for I've ever played for other than other than Phil. But at times, he was better than Phil because Phil always wanted to play psychological games with you, where Nelly would tell you, if you win tonight, you got the next two days off. Where Phil, we'll be down 10 points going into the fourth quarter. We win by 10. We think we got the day off, and he'll bring us in and run the shit out of us. You, know what I'm saying? <laughs> you can cuss. You can cuss all you want. It's okay. It's all right. Those are the types of things where it was a psychological battle. But Nelly, Nelly would tell you, you know, once you get to the playoffs, tell your wives, tell your girlfriends, I own your ass. <laughs> and, it straight, and it was straight where we were. I tell you, my my years in Milwaukee, we were the best defensive team. Mm-hmm. We just couldn't get past Boston. Right. Well, nobody could. You know, that in that time, nobody was getting past them. It's so funny, Larry Bird. I come home, Larry Bird had just won the, uh, they just won the championship. He was MVP and all that. And my uncles being, you know, older brothers and, you know, it's, they, they still got that mindset that it's, it's a black man's game and <laughs> brother got to be the best. So they saying, man, you didn't play in the league. Who the best player in the league? And they, they ready for me to say magic. Or hey man, birdie, man. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, man. Dude. I done seen it up close, man. He giving brothers work. <laughs> don't, don't, be, don't be mad. Don't be mad. Look at him, man. The skills, man. Birdie was incredible, man. So can I ask you a question going off of that then? How did you feel about the comments that Isaiah made, you know, back, back in the day, uh, uh, you know, about Bird after what Rodman had said? How did that I mean, make you feel? And see, and I, like I say, you know, it's certain things. It's certain things. Like Isaiah, he was just saying what goes on behind closed doors. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's certain things that have been said and nobody's supposed to say them publicly. He said it and he got caught and he had to put his foot in his mouth. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Because at this damn time, it is what it is. Somebody hoop, they can hoop. They didn't put their work in, they can hoop. You can call it what you want to call it. It has been, it has been, what do you call it, stereotype the way you want to stereotype it. You want to say that we're just dumb jocks when white athletes were intelligent and all that. You can play that if you want to, but you you look in the mirror, you know who you are. You know what I'm saying? You know what, what you, how you think about the game. And that's those are stereotypes you hear on both sides of the coin where, right. man, they only paying him because he's white. Right. Then on the other side, they're only paying him because he's a great athlete. So it goes both ways where you have to say, man, come on, man, let's cut to the chase. You put in your work. Let's get out. And, yeah. and Larry was giving everybody buckets. It right. didn't matter. So. Yeah. And telling you he's getting ready to give you buckets. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're going to get we're gonna get into that at the end of the show because I have a great question about that. But yeah. I, I, I want to move towards Chicago now. Now you get to go home. You get right. to go home. You grew up a Chicago Bulls fan. Uh, yeah, no, you know what's so crazy is that, okay, I had a pit stop. 
mm-hmm. in Phoenix. So mm-hmm. when when I'm in when I'm in uh, when I'm with the Bucks, I'm leading the league in three point shooting percentage. And it's like the last week before training camp. I just bought my first house in Milwaukee. Go before I bought the house, I go to the general manager. Am I gonna be traded before I buy this house? <laughs> right? Little did I know, when they tell you you're not gonna be traded, you're getting ready to be traded. Right? <laughs> so, I take my children to the circus at the Mecca where we play, go to the circus, we're in the circus, get home, turn the TV on, 10 o'clock news coming on. The Bucks have made a trade. I look at my wife, look at the wife, hey baby, I wonder who we traded. <laughs> Phone ring, Craig. We made a deal. Um, yeah, I already heard. <laughs> I already heard. So I get traded to Phoenix, and when I get to Phoenix, Jerry Colangelo is the general manager and president. Jerry Colangelo grew up with my family in Chicago Heights. No way. So for me, it was a thing where the Bulls wanted to get me, and Phoenix made the move to get me so that the Bucks wouldn't have to trade me ninety miles away. Right, that makes got sense. It, got it. You know, so when I had a chance, when um, so the day that I got traded to Chicago, Jerry Jerry Colangelo calls me and he's like, "Yeah, man, we're going into the playoffs and we could use you as an insurance policy, but Cotton's not really going to give you any run. I got a deal I can make for you. I don't know if you want to go to this team or not, though, man." I'm like, "Where?" He's like, "Chicago." I'm like, "Man, come on, Jerry." He's like, "I know, man. Go on, have fun." So it, it was cool that. He, he understood where, where, where I was coming from because it was crazy that when I got traded into Phoenix, it was the same day with KJ, Tyrone Corbin, Mark right. West. We all got traded in, the, in there together. I'm leading the league in three-point percentage, and I immediately off the plane, I'm on the injury reserve list, and I'm healthy as all get outs, but I'm like, okay, cool. I know we're not going to the playoffs, so this is only a couple right. weeks going on. <laughs> so I'm on the injury I'm on injury reserve list, and it's only like five games when I come off the list. And so I got to play. So I'm on the court with Kevin Johnson, and he's trying to coax me into shooting threes. And I'm like, man, why should I shoot? I already got a one, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I coached me into a three-point championship with that one. But yep. coming to Chicago, man, it was the coolest thing ever, man, because I grew up watching the Bulls. Who was your first coach there? It wasn't Doug Collins yet, right? It was Doug Collins. It was, it was Doug, Doug Collins. Collins. Okay. So – what were the different how how was the the coaching difference between him and, and Phil? Doug Collins was a isolation type guy. It, if something worked, he's coming right back to it. And that was mostly Michael, right? And it, now it, it worked like this. If you scored, you got the next two trips. Oh. Wow. You follow me? Yeah. yeah. Now now you hear what you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. So think about it. You go back to back, you got four trips coming. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so now you can see how Michael would go on those rolls. So right, Michael would go on a roll. He made two in a row. He got the next four. He might miss the next two, but he got two more coming. We're coming, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yep. I love that. I love that. I'm a streak shooter. So sure. Doug, give me a jumper. I hit my jumper. Come back to it. Yeah. I hit another one. Come and so we're in. We're in, and it's funny because I came when I came to the Bulls. They they it would say in the papers that I was coming to give Michael some help in the back Michael up. So I started off as a, you know, backing Michael up. And in practice, you know, I played point guard my, my first couple of years in the league, so that wasn't a problem. So in practice, me and Sam Vincent are going at it, 
and I don't miss. <laughs> so it's one of the things where he's on the court and he's getting these open jumpers and you can see the pressure every time he's catching the ball of, I got to make this because I know it's sitting over there. As soon as you get in, I'm not going to miss. So it was one of the things where I got a chance to get in the lineup and we were in L.A. Uh, playing on the on the road trip and Doug is the coach and I had hit like two or three straight and I'm coming down coming down on the wing in front of the bench. My MJ pops out on the wing to catch the ball and Doug telling man get the hell out of the way and I'm like oh love <laughs> this, is, this is this is lovely you know what I'm saying so he, he shook Michael off for you huh <laughs> exactly and it was one of the things where I'm like oh man and the confidence that just on that little movement and like that road trip, I probably averaged almost 25. And that was unheard of being in the starting back row with MJ. You right, know what I'm saying? Right, so it was right. those things where Doug, Doug was a great confidence builder, but he was also he was also emotionally an emotional roller coaster. Sure. So, you know, <clears throat> me and the trainer played a joke on him. You would come, you would have to weigh every week with Doug. You come in, put your weight down or whatever. Uh-huh. So I'm a constant 195 was my plan weight. So I told the trainer, I was like, yeah, put 200 down. <laughs> right? so he puts 200 down. And Doug was like, man, what's up, Padre? I was like, man, you know, I've been messing with these two guards down here. I think I need a little more weight, right? <laughs> so the, the, next week, the next week, we put 205, right? Doug comes into practice. <sighs> we got to do some extra running, guys. <laughs> Everybody's like, why? We can't have no 210-pound point guard. Everybody's <laughs> like, who's 210 pounds? They look over at me. I'm like, Doug, come on, man. I'm just messing <laughs> with you, man. He was like, oh, man, it's too hard. You can't do that shit. I'm like, come on, Doug. It's, all, it's cool, man. But Doug, man, after win, he would be, he would be drenched, man, like he just who? Right, right. So I, I have a question because I know Tex was a part of that staff, right? Uh, at first year there. Yes. And I'm curious because we see what happens and, and when when Doug Collins leaves and Phil comes in. But yeah. I was curious, like, how much time um, or how much maybe arguing there was between Tex and Doug about implementing the triangle offense during that first year? It was one of the things where, okay, we would get bogged down mm-hmm. and to say, Doug. That's why you need to try and Doug would get tired of hearing it. And to the point where he sent texts on the road to scout. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, then when he came back, he told him to sit, sit away from him. So mm-hmm. that's when Jerry Krause told Phil that he wanted him to get with Tex because he liked Tex's philosophy about the game. Right. And then that next summer it was, it was the transference over, but it was always a, and see Texas one like this. Like I told you, he knows how much he knows, right. and you can take that away from him, and he has no reason to bite his tongue. Sure. And he would tell MJ, Michael, yeah, you're the best player on the team, but it's two things on the team that you're not the best at, and Craig has your ass beat, and that's <laughs> shooting three-pointers and passing to the post. <laughs> <laughs> And then, I mean, obviously, the, you know, that, that seemed to be what clicked and obviously started this, this crazy journey with, you know, the about it, man. And, and to have somebody like a field to be able to be pliable enough to know that good or bad is going to come back to me as the head of this thing. Right. 
And if I have Johnny Bot, Tex Winter, Jim Clemens, Frank Hamlin, mm-hmm. I got a hundred years, a <laughs> hundred years of NBA coaching experience. Right. Why do I need to talk about anything in practice? So <laughs> I would tell people, Phil wouldn't say anything. It'd only be games. And then like we're scrimmaging in practice or something, and he want to try a nuance or something. He'll call a timeout and pull over the fire that he wanted to go out and try something. Other than that, defense was taken care of by Johnny Bach and, and, and Jim Clemens. Yeah. Offense was Tex Winter and, and Frank Hamlin. Right, right. And everybody knew it. So it was like, any questions, talk to them. Yeah. Did you feel like at this point in your career, because you're in Chicago, and then you're, you, you obviously have to guard MJ every day, right? So you, you're playing. Loved it. You did, right? You loved the competition. You obviously were getting better you know, every single day. What, I mean, the, the stories of Michael's competitiveness are, you know, legendary. Uh, is that true? Like, what was your, what was your perception? To the point where, okay, we had a player, a brother by the name of Dennis Hopper. And Dennis, Dennis came to the team after being with the, he was drafted by New Jersey Nets out of Ohio State. Dennis was top All-American out of Ohio State all of that. First round draft. So we play an exhibition game in Champaign, Illinois, against the Nets the year prior to him coming to us. Dennis has like 30 on MJ. Ooh. They wow. never forgot it. Never forgot it. <laughs> never forgot it. So the very first day of practice, as soon as we walk on and they go to match up, get him off me, man. Get him <laughs> off me. He ain't gonna compete. And Dennis didn't say nothing. And it was like, come on, Hodge. Let's go, Hodge. Me and you, man. <laughs> it was like, and, and I'm waiting for Dennis to be like, man, come on, let's go. Because, and you know, it's so crazy how so much of Kobe and MJ were like. We had another brother from Ohio State that came to us when I was coaching with the, with the Lakers, Jimmy Jackson. Yeah. Right? And Jimmy Jackson was just the opposite of Hop. You know what I'm saying? Where Jimmy would be like, man, let's fight. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so practice got so heated one day, and him and him and Cole going at it. And I thought back to, I was like, man, if Hop would have been like that, it would have been, been something to see. But him and Cole, Jimmy Jack and Cole went at it so hard one day, Bill had to say, nah, nah, stop. Uh, stop, <laughs> stop. stop. You know, and he would have to do that. He would never let Kobe and Ron Artest ever guard one another. Oh, ever. right. You can't, can't, can't have that. <laughs> ever. No, no, no. Put them on the opposite sides <laughs> of the court. <laughs> I'm playing on the same team. Preferably, yeah. And preferably <laughs> on the same team. <laughs> exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. What kind of similarities? I mean, you mentioned Kobe, obviously. And there's so many similarities between Michael and Kobe. Um, what, what stand out to you the most? Um, tenacity. And just sheer, I'm not going to let us lose. If we anywhere close in two minutes, if it's within 14 points with two minutes, they're not going to let you lose. Did you, see the same, did you see the same kind of work ethic between Kobe and Michael, like what they put into the game? And the, and the, the attention to detail. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? When, you know, I would see in playing with MJ, I would see after practice 20 minutes of footwork. You know what I'm saying? By himself. 
right. on the side back. Likewise, Kobe would call me the night before. Yo, man, meet me at the gym. Mm-hmm. Meet him at the gym at 7 in the morning, practice at 9. Man, we in there for an hour and a half, and he just working on one movement. Right. Wow. And then when we go out and play that night, he'll go get 40. <laughs> he get 40 on that one move. That move, right. On that move. From four different places on the court. Wow. I know Phil Jackson was uh, notorious for giving players books, and I know he was very well, well read, and so are you. Was there any, any books that he gave you? The main book that I always remember is The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Oh, yeah. And what was that? It was about, it was about a ninja student, off the chain teaching, man. And he was in Northern California and went on this mystic-type journey. But that, that in, in itself is a true reflection of who I am. Wow. And he, could, he, he saw that in you, though, right? So that's why he felt to give you that book. Yeah, and, and know that I'm going to read it. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Um, what was you know, what was it like getting that finally getting over the hump and getting that first chip? That ninety ninety one, correct? Yep. Ninety one, yeah. the first chip um you hit, you know, after all you've been through, right? Right, right. So all this way, you battled all your all your way there. Ninety one, you guys finally beat the Pistons. You beat it was Portland, right? No, we beat Lakers. 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 Yeah. Right. Lakers. Excuse me. Second was Portland, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you finally get to the mountaintop. What's the feeling like to be a world champion and starting this journey for the Bulls? You know what's so crazy, man, is that your preparation is so almost fanatical. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. And to be able to have to have an entire so like for instance, when Toronto, I was over in I was over in um in the Philippines when Toronto got ready to win. And it was tied at the time. And I told, I went in and I told the team that I was talking to that I was teaching at the time. I said, Toronto is going to win the championship. Ah, no way, no way. I was like, there's no way a city can have enough energy to beat a whole country right. who has no, <laughs> you feel me? So yeah. they had the entire country of Canada rooting right. for them. Same thing with us. Our battles with the Pistons were, you know, historic. And that the following that we had in Chicago, I liken it to when Ali would lose and the community would be demoralized. Yeah. That was the city of Chicago when we lost to Detroit. And we lost that last time. We say, man, we ain't gonna have, we ain't gonna let this happen to us and we ain't letting it happen to the city again. So when we beat the Pistons and they walked off, that was a confirmation to us that we were there. We knew LA can't beat us. <laughs> we knew that. We knew that. Because we knew by game two, Magic is going to be so tight from what Scotty is going to put on. Yep. <laughs> Didn't he say that too? Didn't Scotty say, like, I'm, I got Magic this game? I told us. He told us before the Detroit series. Mm-hmm. And us looking forward, we saying, who we, we get through Detroit, who we He's like, look, we get through Detroit, I'm not going to score a basket against LA. But Magic <laughs> is not going to come down court in a straight line one time against him. See, there ain't no players like that anymore, man. Everybody <laughs> wants to get their buckets, you know? Once again, once again, Scotty got buckets. Yeah, oh, yeah. Buckets. Now, he got buckets within the context of our system, right. which is triangle, where he knew he was going to get touches to get buckets, mm-hmm. and that's going to inspire him to play more defense. Mm-hmm. And that's part of me, that when I look at the game, 
if I'm a person that's just running up and down the court and I don't know when I'm going to get this ball from this dribbling point guard, <laughs> how enthused am I going to be down to go down here and stop the number one power forward or the number one? Right. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's yeah. not, it doesn't lend itself to the way the game is played now, this positionless garbage. I'm just looking at how many passes we made from the wing to the free throw line to the post that aren't even looked at today. Right. They either are dribbled to or back down into. Right. So you're getting the ball at the wing and you backing down into the post. You're not – instead of saying, okay, since you're going to back down from all the way there, why don't you just go down there and I'll pass you the ball down? From there, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Hodge, in, in 2020's NBA game, where do you think you fit in since every – you know, most three-point shooters, and you had three-point shooting down to a science, right? Simple mathematics. You said it's all it, – it's your whole body motion is shooting a three. You were, you were normally shooting like two to four – clips a night right if you no, were getting no 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 whoa what no what? no no listen to what you said yeah two, two to four clips a night mm -hmm. in regular season would be how many you follow Amazing. me yeah if i shot two to four a night in an 82 game setting mm -hmm. that means i would have attempts like you follow me yeah we yeah. can shoot like that Right. We weren't getting them attempt. Right. So if I got if in the say we played four games in seven days, I might, I might get 10 3. Wow. In that four game trip. Right. <clears throat> you know I me? Mean? Yeah. So it was a different, it was see, the game was inside out. Right. Yeah, but how many you pull in if, if you're playing and you're the three point shooter? Today. If I'm playing today. Yeah. yeah. I could get six to eight up. Right, that's what I'm saying, at least. The thing that people don't realize is that I was I was I grew up as a point guard. Nobody saw my handles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I tell people, go back. When I was with the Clippers, I had an 18 assist game, man. You don't have 18 assists if you can't dribble. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So when I got to Milwaukee, Don Nelson was the first one to institute a point forward with Paul Pressey, who was 6'7". Mm -hmm. That's when he saw me shooting the ball. He's like, oh, man, we can put Craig over here or Craig over here, and it's going to space the court, and we can get our drivers to the places where they need to be. So now it became the mystique of he's one of the top three-point shooters in the league. Yeah, I could do that, but I could dribble too. Yeah, <laughs> you could do more than that. This whole thing is dribble, 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 and find your way where I could dribble across half court if I can get by somebody or just pull, I could do that. Or I can come down and say, yo, Big Cat, come on over here. And now, now by the time you get over here, I'm ready to do my thing and pull a three over there. It's, yep. it's, it's cool, but it's not cool because it doesn't involve – it's not the way we were taught to play. We play like that in the summertime. Yeah, sure, sure. So I, I do have a question because um, I know that you were involved with the G League. Uh, you had some coaching time there. Um, I don't know if you had a, a, not, a lot of time to think about the, the news that was just happening with Jalen Green for going college and, and going straight to the G League. What are your thoughts on, on the NBA moving in that direction, uh, you know, on, on the NBA and on the college level? Right. It, it, it's once a time. It's once again, it's that point where economics, economics rule, man. And 
the NBA sees that opportunity. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And now they know the NCAA is a criminal enterprise. You are able to exploit talent yep. beyond comprehension and don't have any type of insurance policy for somebody who tears their knee up and all of this type of job. So it's it's a it's a time, it's time for it. Yep. To me, it's one of those things where it's amazing to me that as a 12-year-old tennis player and you cold, you can go play wherever the hell you want to. Right. And it ain't no, ain't no type of what law stops you from being that. Right. And my problem is, why is it that when it becomes black talent on that level, that it has to be some type of programmatic, systematic way of bringing it in so mm-hmm. that we can, we, can regu- we can regulate it, we can control it, we can maintain it, as opposed to saying, look, if you're a 17-year-old cat like that, if he's ready to go to the league, why can't he go to the league? Why he got to go oh, to the league? Right. You know what I'm saying? If yeah. somebody wants to take a chance on him now, well, come on. And my thing is that at this point in time, Everybody should be an independent contractor. Yes. On all fronts. Right. On all fronts. And you stop and you think about it. Okay, this society you live in, you're an independent contractor anyway. When you stop and you really look at it, when you go to your first job, you are an independent contractor. Mm-hmm. Are you walking around with the social security card and your ID? Can you give <laughs> me a job? You're independent. You ain't affiliated to nobody. Right. Why can't that be in sport? Absolutely. It's in golf. Oh, it's yeah. in t- you know what I'm saying? It's in skateboarding. Yeah. Yeah. All, it's, it's pretty much every other sport, I mean, except for college football and, and college basketball. I mean, Man. any other Man. sport. Yeah. And then you stop and you say, okay, like for me, uh, my sons, they always, man, daddy, you be on that conspiracy shit. I'm on reading shit. I research. So my research tells me that if I can cross-reference some jobs, then there's something to it. Right. Now, let me ask y'all a question. These are my questions, just me being, see, and I tell people this in, in, in putting a preface on this. I grew up playing for a living. Playing. Mm-hmm. So you, and you look childlike. So remind, I'm reminding y'all, this is from a childlike mentality. How if in 1997, 98, they filmed Last Dance, right? Did they know it was going to be Last Dance then? Right. When did, when did, when did, when did all of this come about? Sure. Hell of a time, hell of a time for me. Hell of a time for me in this civilization that I live in. Capitalism. Mm-hmm. It's how now, after 20 years, we're gonna bring it out summer of 2020. Okay, I get summer of 2020, but even that, how did you pick summer of summer of 2020? Sure. Now, is it because LeBron James is on his way to winning the championship that y'all say, whatever? Could that be in it? Okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But once again, 20 years ago, you did this. What was LeBron James? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so, yeah. so my question is on timing. Mm-hmm. On timing. And then now, now, this is the thing. This is me. It comes out at the peak of this shit, at the peak of the virus. Right. And everybody in the world's watching it. Everybody in the world. There's no sports. <laughs> and, who is, and who is the virus impacting in America the most? African Americans. Who? 
African Americans. African Americans. And, and but you put on entertainment for us to look at. Yeah. Instead of to think about why is this happening to us in these numbers. So you you don't think of it as distraction. Yeah. Okay. I do. I'm just asking. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just asking on timing. Sure. On timing, on timing, yeah. and capitalism. Right. I would say. I would say. You know. We know Mike's. I mean, you, you know it more than we do. But from his history, he's always willing to capitalize on a moment if if it means some extra and money. Not, I, I ain't mad. But man, look at this moment. Right. Hey, look, and you know it's so cold. This is the wild part for me. I'm like, wow, cold. Cold ass marketing, man. Yeah. Ain't shit else on. It's nothing on. Now, this is the cold part. You come on on Sunday, you to talk on ESPN and every other sports I think till the next Sunday. All week. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> I hate it. It's the worst. It's commercial. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, this is the cold part. This is the cold part about the capital where we sitting today. And all of this thing is I laugh. I say, okay, we want to look into the problems with our system. But we'll look from level one through the 99th floor. And we say it's only 99 floors to the building. And me as a black man, descendant of a slave, I'm saying, no, y'all missing the 100th floor, which is the basement. Uh-huh. You don't want to look into the basement, which is the foundation of capitalism, which is slaves. Mm -hmm. So your capitalist system is falling because you don't have no free labor. No, don't nobody want to work for free. Right. So now you're going minimum wage and minimum wage. And no, don't, no. But now look at this, y'all. Y'all know right now we're in the largest transference of wealth in human history. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Everywhere on earth is given the people, the money that they stolen yep. <laughs> from them. It's amazing. That's pretty that, deep. That's deep, deep Hodge. It's heavy. That, it's that, It's research. You know, <laughs> question, because I, I know you've been very outspoken in your career with your teammates and your peers on your, on your views. And, and, you know, a lot of this, I, I, I know a lot of the, your teammates kind of wanted to believe in what you were saying, but didn't really want to take that next step to actually make it seem that they agreed with what you had to say. Um, what do you think, you know, 20 years later with the moves that like look, people like LeBron are doing right now and actually it's love. it is love. It's, right? it's love because you know, the thing for me, I love it because, okay. See back in 1991, I couldn't holler at brothers like y'all. Mm -hmm. You follow me? Say that? Why do you say that? We ain't had social media, man. Right. So when they blackballed me, who going to talk to me? I, I call a reporter. They ain't got to run my, they ain't got to run my article. I called Essence Magazine to write article. They tell me my opinion wasn't universal enough. Really? Huh? Wow. It was universal enough for every nation. It was universal enough for every nation in the United Nations to have enslaved us and they gave us no reparation. <laughs> so this whole thing, man. So. I love what LeBron, what Colin Kaepernick was able to do. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Through y'all, yep. through young people who are conscious about, you know what, man? Uh, what's wrong with him taking a knee? It's he a knee. He nobody up. Uh, it's he a knee. Saying, he ain't saying nothing to nobody. 
he ain't saying that. And then I'm looking at, oh, it's about the flag. Okay, if it's about the flag, if we look at the, the way that the flag is supposed to be displayed, every time y'all have it at a football game and you lay it out flat and you holding it sideways, that's illegal. Right. Mm -hmm. But ain't nobody saying nothing about that. That's just laying it on the ground. But right. it is. But you don't want to question that. That's patriotism. Right. But it was a it was a veteran that told him to take a knee. Yeah. He wasn't the only you know? one. So it's it's always one of <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing is that it's always a way of being able to through media and everything else to turn the story. Right. So it made it look, so they made it like man, Craig Hodges is telling Michael man. I'm telling everybody I'm excited about this information that I'm getting and I'm sharing it. And I don't, man, is, is it, how's it offensive? Right. Talk to me about it being offensive. Do you, wish you, had, do you wish you had this kind of platform back in the oh, night? We got it now. We got it now. I'm with y'all now. I'm right. cool with it. You know, and even, even like my game, man, look, I tell people, the game is the game. I'm a, I'm, I'll be 60 in June. I go out and I knock down 33s in a row at this day and time. I bet that's you cool. I love it. I love it. That's, that's my part of the game still. And yeah. I know where I'm at in the game. And, and one thing that I don't, I never try to do is look to be like, yeah, if I was, if I, no, nah, man, we had, I played in the golden era of the game. Mm -hmm. I played against Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the all-time scorer in the game at that time. Dr. J. Moses Malone, Magic Johnson, Robert Parrish. You feel me, man? Yep. It, and then this is the part of me that's saying, hmm, how is the game going to look? So I might have played in the golden era. We yep. don't know how it's going to pan out going after this. Right. Facts. That's very actually true. a very big point. Very true. You know what I'm saying? So are we at the – are we at the, the – and see the thing about this whole this whole paradigm of quarantine to me everything is going to be different yep. i mean everything think about it doctors with artificial intelligence you're going to be able to do a body scan with your phone right and they're going to be able to tell you what you need and it's already waiting for you at the pharmacy so it's a lot of things quickly. that are coming. <laughs> it's a whole new. It's a whole new flip, and then it's gonna be like, okay, what is, what is the need for sports in the first place? What was the need for? Right. Why was it necessary? Was yeah. it necessary? Was it necessary in 1875? There right. wasn't no sports team. It was about like right where we are now. I tell my children, I say, you know what, y'all. We almost like the people was when they was crossing the West to go in their covered wagons. <laughs> you on your own as a family. How you going to roll out of this as a family? How you going to roll out of this quarantine if you don't have a job now? Right. Are you creative enough to get with this technology when you're talking about anybody over 50 is going to struggle without knowing this technology job? I totally agree. And when this all started, Drew and I both said that I, I want to take it as kind of a blessing to focus on what we do here and create and just yeah. reach out because people yeah. are home. Like yeah. if yeah. you would ask me two weeks ago, if we could have an interview with Craig Hodges while the, you know, the last dance is on, I'd be like, wow, probably not. Yeah. And now we're doing this right now. Yeah. So, um, Hey, so I have one last question for you. Okay. 
Leon Wood is one of my best friends, okay? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> oh, man, this is good. I know. This is good. I talk to Leon every single day. We talk basketball every single day, okay? Man, tell Leon I send him love, man. Love I, and peace, man. Yeah, I, I will. Brother, man, for real. We, talk, we talked about you last night. I said you were going to be on the show, and he said he remembered playing against you at Long Beach. You were two years older than him, though. But uh, Leon, hey, Leon used to shoot that shit every time. <laughs> every time. It, I used to hate gardening because I know he's <laughs> doing that shit and he's going to shoot that shit from somewhere and he's launching. And he, I mean, he had, he was launching. Man, he was three, he's three point range before it was three point land, man, for real, man. And uh, yeah, he, he had handles, man. Yeah. yeah. So the funny thing, the funny thing is, is when I met him 10 years ago, one, and we all we did was talk basketball. This is before I had the podcast. He knew I was a ball boy. And he always told me the Larry Bird story in the three-point championship, okay? Let me hear how he told it. He, he always said that Larry came in and said, okay, which one of you guys is going to be next? Uh-huh. But then I heard you said that, that Larry actually called out Leon. Leon yeah. never told me this. Did Leon – and now, if Leon, if Leon is with it, Leon, okay, Larry, well, you know, we all sitting in there waiting, waiting for him because we got to take this picture or whatever. And he don't just open the door. It's like, boom. He, he, you could tell he hit the door to surprise people, whatever. And he walks in, he looked around, he was like, yeah, Leon, I know you just shot your load out in warm-ups, man. <laughs> <laughs> I got to give a shout-out to my baby boy. Yeah, Noah and his mom. Hey, what's up, y'all? This was so awesome, Craig. Thank you so much. We appreciate it so much. Yeah, man. Let's touch down that as this goes forward, man. You know, maybe we can do some stuff on just student athleticism when this comes back and that kind of stuff, man. We Definitely. would love to have that. It was an honor talking to you, Craig. Appreciate y'all, man. Keep up the good work and keep the message out there to the people, man. This is what's needed. Definitely. Thank so you, much. sir. Peace, peace. Yo, if that was not a dope interview, I don't know what is. Thank you to Craig Hodges for coming on the show. We appreciate him and all the knowledge he brings. If you are a fan of The Last Dance and the Chicago Bulls, you know you guys love that. Do not forget to rate and review and subscribe to our Patreon show where we are dropping exclusive content every single week. Coming up next, we got Jelani McCoy and our top five Best centers of all time. What better person to have on the show than a former NBA center? It's the follow-through with Clips and Drew. Drew, we're ghosts.